0: Hundreds of jobs that will pay you to think, solve, make, create, and design. In How Did I Get Here?, I speak to entrepreneurs, leaders, trendsetters, and trailblazers in some of the world's most desirable jobs and ask them, How did you get here? Today, I'm speaking with Nadja Loscott and Nicholas Hulley. Nadja and Nicholas are one of the most awarded creative teams in the world. They are the team behind BloodNormal. This is a campaign for bodyform and the breeze, as it's known globally, that aims to normalize periods. It is the first campaign in ad history to show period blood. The likes of the BBC, Newsweek, and The Guardian all hailed it as groundbreaking. This year they also created directed Trash Isles campaign. This was a partnership with Lab Bible and Plastic Oceans Project. It declared the world's largest trash patch in the ocean an official country, and this happened via the United Nations of all places. Earlier this year, they completed a podcast series for the London Metropolitan Police. The series told heart-stopping true stories of foiled UK terror attacks. It reached number two in the iTunes podcast charts. Their work put Guinness back into positive growth for the first time in years, and they achieved this in a declining beer market. In 2014, Desaapur's work was one of the most awarded film campaigns in the world, they also produced the multi award winning Zimbabwean newspaper Trillion Dollar Campaign, and the merits included the oft coveted and rarely received DNAD black pencil. The posters were also acquired for the British Museum's permanent collection. The team's 2018 Industry Award Tour includes one titanium lion, a Grand Prix in the glass category, and a Grand Prix at the Art Directors Club, not to mention two can lions. Grand Prix and two Lion Golds as creative directors to teams beneath them. Nadja has also been named as the One Club's top 10 next creative leaders, Campaigns Women of Tomorrow, and one of Management Today's 35 Under 35. Uh, As this is an industry I'm in myself, it's an absolute honor to meet these two and get to hear their story. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Nadja and Nicholas. Okay guys, so how would you describe what you both do
1: for a living without using your job title?
2: That's like a Radio 4 question. Um, I'm a writer. Um, for commercial purposes, so I guess I get a brief. And a brief is wrapped up in a in a business challenge. The business challenge has both a sort of a financial dimension to it. Oh, we need to sell more this, or we we struggling to get into this market. And then it has a sort of a brand dimension to it. Oh, we would love to appeal to teenagers. Or we want to be a Confident brand, we want to be a cheeky brand, we want to be a wise brand, and you want to take that business challenge and that brand image in itself and try and come up with um, a creative solution on how to get that message across. And that would be by writing a television script for TV, or writing a long content piece for, for the internet. Or all the way down to an Instagram post, a radio ad or a big giant billboard. Um, and then there's a second dimension to, to the job where we don't just well, we do not do that ourselves. But we oversee the process of other people doing that. And, give, um, and still, and say, well, perhaps it could be like this. That's a really great idea. Mean, That's a great idea. So I guess we come up with the ideas for Brian
3: work with Nick I do exactly the same thing that he just described um, and we work as a team but we as Nick is in charge of well officially in charge of the the writing side of things I'm officially in charge officially in charge of the art side of things the visual side of things so I um, we come up with ideas together but then We look at the visual work and visual world of of brands in um, various different formats um, and think of crazy cool ways of expressing um, the art world of advertising.
2: And I think that um, that there's that that strictness of, oh, I do the writing as the pictures is very fluid, it's, a, it's, our, it's our disciplines, but we, we mix and we match and we influence each other and we think of the, the ideas together. And um, I think in the course of our career, what's, what's been amazing is that advertising just continually changes and evolves. <coughs> so, what probably would have started is our career was do a print advert, which would be a picture and a headline on a white piece of paper. Um, it's now documentaries, and series, cinematographs it's everything and anything to get your message across which you very excited about.
1: Very cool. <laughs> um, and well handled as well, because actually it's quite hard to answer that question particularly about your job, I think, without the, uh, without the title. Um, so it'd be really cool to sort of know how you guys kind of ended up where you are, but always a, an interesting place do you remember kind of any experience when you were younger where you, you kind of saw some advertising or you, you you heard something on the radio or you experienced something and you kind of went that's really cool I wonder I wonder if you get paid to do that or you know do you remember a time when you kind of your first experience with it
3: i remember so Both my parents are artists and my dad's a sculptor but for some reason he had, he always had graphics annuals in his studio and I remember looking through graphics annuals and I loved graphic design. Um, but obviously in the graphics annual there was both graphic design, there was also art direction and advertising and I always used to think, Oh, so clever, and I always used to enjoy kind of poring through the the annuals and and looking at all these clever um ideas and clever ways of expressing ideas that were that that people were obviously making and I think
0: unbeknownst
3: i that was a long time probably before i I went to go and study, but um I think that's when I probably fell in love with. What's the world? It's, it's going
2: to sound really weird and unbelievable, but um, when growing up in South Africa, they used to, after every CAN advertising festival, believe it or not, but it's true, they used to take the, the, the CAN winning television ideas and cut a, a reel, put a show reel together of the best 30 or 40 TV ads going into them when they And they'll play them at the cinema before the main feature. This, this, this is true, this happened in South Africa. So you're a young kid going to watch Star Wars or whatever, and there would be uh, the cam winning reel in sort of the month, part, uh, part, uh, the month after Can Advertiser Fest. So you would watch these really best and the best of, of advertising. Show real. <laughs> it was good. Kind of, that's quite kind of cool. And you using your popcorn, so you're a bit more disp- predisposed towards it. And it was just one great ad after the other. So probably didn't realize what I that I was looking at adverts. Just kind of was always intrigued and excited. It felt like a kind of a cool busy thing, watching these ads in the cinema. Movie. And that is a true story. That's weird. Well, I know, but
1: it's true. Was that just winners from South Africa?
2: Why? No, it no, no, was the all the best from around the world, but there weren't any winners from South Africa at that stage, So, um, and in fact, I often wonder if that did inspire the South African advertising industry to sort of, almost the creative revolution that kind of came, and everybody's probably being exposed to these incredible ads from around the world.
1: That is really like an odd thing, well a great thing, but quite a weird thing. Do you know who was behind that? Was the cinema behind that? I think, yeah, it
3: was uh, I think Cinemark, and they still they still actually sponsor people to go over um, to Cannes now, um, and they still they still put a reel together, and you can go. I don't think they they play them before features anymore, yeah. but they do. You can you can still go and watch a... A session
2: of award winning arts. I, remember, I always it's remember cool. it's one it's the one that always stuck in my mind it was called Perrier Water because the thirsty woman climbing up the side of the mountain in like in desert conditions and a lion climbing at the other side and when they get to reach the top then there's the Perrier Water and she's desperate so she gets rid of the lion she screams at the lion disappears, and disappears she takes everything <laughs> It okay. <laughs> sticks in your mind when you're yeah. 10.
1: <laughs> um, so, okay, you're, obviously, because you guys work as a, as a team, a yeah. director, creative director team, creative partners as well at AMV. So you're going to have to freestyle this one a little bit, but walk me through your kind of steps then. So you both kind of had this either vague or more concrete perhaps idea that, this was maybe something that would interest you. So, what did you go on to study at kind of school and college? And what were your sort of decisions after that that I inevitably ended, yeah, ended you up here?
2: I think at school I was, I naturally gravitated towards the, um, without even really consciously steering myself towards advertising, I gravitated towards English and art and history, that kind of humanity. So, hated maths, hated science. And from there, that had a, sort of a vague idea to go to university in South Africa and study journalism, uh, which was, I suppose, writing and, and a kind of creative expression of sort of a desire to to write for a living. And then I lived in London for a few years and kind of <laughs> was doing anything but writing and journalism. It, um, it became very useful. Uh, <laughs> at some point you should go to do something. And somebody sent me a um, a copy test for for an advertising school in South Africa. And I was, all Ooh. I was in a digs in Acton town. This was a long time ago when it was affordable to be in a, in a student digs in Acton town. And I, the only space I had, to, the only place I could do it was in the bathroom late at night. This copy test, and as I was doing it. She was really the phone, I think, quite enjoyed it and, and took the copy to And then from there when she advertising, advertise and kind of track and came to some sitting on the mirror later night <laughs> real <railing laughs> and writing it. Um, what about you?
3: I I went to a really interesting uh, high school um that it was called the National School of Arts and it did both uh, academic subjects, but also art subjects. But we didn't do things like sports or home economics or, or things like that. We started school early and without those subjects and finished school late, you could fit in various art subjects. And at the beginning, you kind of start out with a, a bunch of different ones. So you Jewelry, you do drawing, history of art, painting, sculpture, a whole a whole bunch, and then after two or three years, you kind of you can then specialise into the thing that you find most interesting um, in your art subjects. As you do, I guess with with your academic subjects, you end up having to choose them, but. Um, I chose to do so. We had to do drawing and history of art as a as a given, but I uh, also chose to do graphic design and photography. Um, and I really, actually, I wanted to be a a photojournalist. Uh, and Nick and I always say that in another life, with Nick having studied journalism, we probably would have landed yeah. up being a team in a, in a different life too. In a war zone. Um, but um. I th- always had a strong kind of sense for kind of uh, graphic design as well, and um, interestingly enough, I and I didn't ever I didn't ever know that I wanted to go and study advertising. I just, I, it was just those two things that I gravitated towards naturally and found interesting and found a love in, and um, enjoyed doing. And then I uh, found a I was looking at graphic. Design kind of degrees and things like that after after leaving school just before leaving school and there was a a college that did a, a course that was both graphic design and art direction and that's kind of when I realized back in the day the books that I used to love you know looking at in my dad's studio that the, that's the type of thing that you that you can go and study and can go do and then I, so I landed up in Cape Town at a a school called uh, red and yellow which was actually started by the guys that um, started uh, another the agency uh, right for wood making in Macon and Cape Town so they uh two other guys retired and started the school so they had uh, amazing you know they were legends in advertising and um, fantastic fantastic teachers and that's kind of landed up then specializing in in art direction rather than, than graphic design and uh, then eventually went back to Johannesburg and got a job in advertising
1: um is that where you guys kind of teamed up
2: yeah, yeah. i i i grew I grew up in Cape Town and spent most of my life in Cape Town and studied outside um, of Cape Town a Went back to Cape Town, but Cape Town at that time was probably it, it's a it's a brilliant design center. I think the design is really good there because it's small, it's boutique. But inevitably, you kind of gravitated from South Africa. You gravitated towards Jo'burg, the big it's business capital, the head offices are there, and the better agencies are there. So I made my way to Jo'burg. You kind of did the opposite thing. You grew up in Jo'burg. Studying in Cape Town and then went back to travel. Yeah, I had a friend
3: who was working in uh, in Johannesburg that was a, a strategist planner, and he said to me, "Don't stay in Cape Town. I come to Johannesburg. It's, the agencies are bigger because it's the business centre, so it means that there's more money in in Johannesburg." And uh, you know, that's how I landed up back in Johannesburg, and, and we worked together at uh and Fiskars. I I started off um, at that agency with earning zero zero money, having to freelance uh, to kind of pay my rent. But it was a it was an amazing they had an amazing system where um, it was called studio, but you you assisted senior teams, so um, you were. You were literally their assistant, and you had to do image search. You had to do their design work. You, uh, but in turn, you learned from them. You learned you could sit with them and come up with ideas, and you could take ideas to them and work on their briefs. and And you would you would just be immersed in 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 amazing team culture because the the agency had incredible creatives and incredibly talented um, award-winning creatives. So you kind of we're able to gain so much experience and so much knowledge as uh, as a youngster and then also meet amazing other other friends and i mean made i made friends there for life that you know that you all you all work in the studio together and you you're working really late hours but it's an amazing amazing experience to kind of be in the
1: Trenches was yeah yeah it's cool. how so How long did you have to do that before that kind of converted into something
3: um,
1: paying you? Well,
2: you were paid in studio.
1: You, well, you were paid.
3: We You were paid in studio. did very if you well. Call it that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was enough But to it was enough. You know, enough to kind of get by. But you, you know, you, you, you did have to yeah. do a little bit more if you, you know, it's. It, um, a, little yes, the a little bit of
2: freelance on the I, <laughs> I was doing freelance when at an agency when my boss arrived at that agency because was friends with the that agency boss and I was in the boardroom working on freelance when my, I saw my boss coming up the stairs I like no, this is not a good look uh, so I had to hide in the cupboard while he had a little meeting <laughs> 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 and you're what freelance what? For other brand agencies, what? Completely unethical, but well, if they're going to pay you what they were paying us, you kind of have to... Have yeah, you've got to make me, <laughs> right. <laughs> right, I see. And, yeah. and
1: that, that, so those, those kind of things, in South Africa at least, converting into a job, is that, in your eyes, was that just a matter of time? You just did that yeah, for long
2: it, enough to hang around
1: long enough kind
3: of. You kind of... I think of, it
2: was quite a short process.
1: It, it
3: was. It, the my the the art direction so the studio was mainly for for art directors, and um, Nick had been there for a couple of years when when I arrived and um, the studio process was kind of a year and a half to kind of two or three years but you had the job it's not like a placement system where you didn't have it you were employed as a job and the idea would be that you would learn your craft and then move through into becoming in, into becoming a team so after about a year and a half um made it out of out of the studio and and was able to team up with was writing and, and receive kind of th- yeah I mean, but i think that the way that you it was such an intensive it was meant to be such an intensive kind of program and you were encouraged to kind of try and win awards and and work on your your senior team's briefs so um it was very much a, a a system meant to almost fast track you yeah
2: and i think that that was really what was just very lucky getting into the start in the south african advertising industry because there were jobs that, they, they were very junior jobs with very low but you kind of got a job um, and then because of the size of the industry and the nature of the industry the opportunities come they just the opportunities are there from the beginning. You don't have to spend that much time waiting for, you know, for your your chance. It's there. There's a lot of work churned around. quite quickly. There's not as so much research, and all of that. So you kind of go quite quickly. Yeah, in South Africa,
3: you you know you can make stuff every three months just to are production. So it's a really cool, quick turnaround and aspect. You don't research as much, or well, you don't hardly yeah. research.
1: Yeah, so. there's sort of less getting in the way of yeah your yeah, success ultimately.
3: Yeah, there's more. I guess there's more um, trial and error without research. People just take a risk and go, yeah. "Yeah, let's try it," and if it doesn't work well, then we'll do something else.
1: Yeah. Okay, but um, so you're now in in London, so obviously I'm wherever you are. I'm aware of your work, but some people listening might be fifteen years old and you know not know who you guys are. So, what what was that process from kind of South Africa and now you're you know one of the biggest and best agencies in the UK as creative partners? So, what what did that sort of look like?
2: Um, well, I think we probably spent a few years and quite a few years together in in, in Joburg working together, building building our portfolio, trying to do interesting work. I think the difficulty the difficulty when you're moving from one sort of country to the next country is that uh you don't quite often don't know how big what the size of the brand is in South Africa. You don't know if it's a big brand or you don't know what the challenges are in that market. So you know you could be working on a in South Africa you work on a massive bank which is, you know, blue chip, it's all the all the challenges of a of a big corporate and you could be doing amazing work in the context of that that market but um somebody in the u k has never heard of it back and isn't familiar with your challenges so that work doesn't make an impact so you kind of it it's 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 a it's interesting because there's some different challenges and different ways of looking at it so we we were doing that for a few years and then we were very lucky to to win a lot of, to win some awards at, at the international advertising award show, which are obviously is sort of global currency for creatives. If you win it, you them, first of festival, you win at the or the, the one show. It's a sort of undisputed universal currency for creativity. So if you win there, then suddenly everybody's looks at you on that sort of global level. So we were very lucky to win some some nice big awards there, which. Then, kind of, gave us the opportunity to come across to London and start at AMV. And then I suppose it's quite challenging because you come to a, you assume that a lot of things, a lot of the challenges are the same, but they, it's, it's quite different. South Africa, there's no research and sort of churn through ideas very quickly. So ideas can be terrible and they can be great. There's a kind of a nice curve and you come to, but suddenly you arrive in, in, in London at AMV and you realize that a lot more diligence, there's research, there's lots of experienced people, and you sort of feel that that process slows down. You have a little, little bit of a panic when you first start going, oh, I'm yeah. Yeah, it's panic. a whole different, oh, a whole yeah, different right. world. But, you know, you gain your, um, you learn your tricks and you gain some experience, and I think that then we were lucky to get a, <clears throat> a beginner's brief which is I think in terms of uh, UK advertising is one of the sort of uh, mythical briefs in advertising. They've done some of the great advertising, the, the white horses, which is obviously so memorable and, and all of that. So you really, uh, it's, a, it's a massive challenge and an opportunity for the creators in the UK. We I mean, were given that brief, we were able to. Right. I mean, at first we were given the
3: <laughs> tiniest, tiniest brief but we were so excited about it because it was a Guinness brief and you know it was surfer and and sort of like know what you love which are all such iconic famous ads you know which are revered by by creators all around the world you do have a little thing in your throat (laughs) You, you you take it seriously and and um after we kind of cracked that they they gave us another brief and then you know you kind of we worked our way into into getting better and better briefs and um, and then we were lucky enough to be trusted with a big guinness brand brief which we Definitely shut ourselves off when we got it because you do freak out um, and and worry about on a on a massive scale whether you're going to mess it up or you um, know whether you can get. And it we right. were
2: taking a bit of a risk. We had yeah. we were telling the story of um, these dandies from the Congo dress dressing cool clothing, but they have quite a sort of. Uh, quite a sort of philosophical nature to them, they do it with the dignity and the sort of expression. So something quite different for we'll but that went quite well. So, so that was a, that was really that was good for us. There were moments where you where we were sitting there going, why are we why are we, why were we so ambitious? We shouldn't just pack up and go home, this is gonna be a disaster. But it was okay. And then I guess recently to be working on um four body blood for blood normal which was quite a provocative campaign to show to break the period space which very also a mm-hmm. Yeah and that
1: was uh correct if I'm wrong but that was not showing blood in a in an advert um
3: Yeah, so it was uh, um
1: for that exact product, right? Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is bonkers that, that has never yeah,
3: been done. So, um Bodyform, the um, breast, as it's known globally, um, are a sanitary towel company, and um, as we all know, sanitary towel companies and tampon companies have been uh, actually, ironically, scared of even mentioning yeah. the word period for you know for years and years, and and it's. Um,
2: pouring blue liquid you know it's
3: pouring blue liquid and actually hiding from the fact that periods actually exist and that it's a a normal thing for um you know women and girls all over the world every single Mm. month um and you know we knew from from research that how much it actually affected girls and women's confidence in in big ways and in in small ways of, of kind of being really having to be really discreet or very embarrassed and shameful about something that occurs so naturally, mm. and we knew that you know we had a role to play in that as well, and um, so we did a campaign called Blood Normal, um, which broke down um, period stigmas and actually showed proudly and completely unashamedly that periods were normal. and Men treated periods normally it's you know a whole a whole world where no one was ashamed and as a big you know as a big as a big corporate company to actually go out there and say well we're not ashamed about it neither should you be and it's it's that kind of thing that you can actually Have the power to shift people's Mm. perception with, which you know is really exciting. It's a a really, really exciting thing. So we showed period blood for the first time in in a campaign, and and, uh, we did an online film. And in each of the scenes, uh, we did a we did an activation, a real world activation that came off each of the scenes. So we didn't really want to just make an ad we 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 want to also try and affect culture in various different ways. So we showed, you know, we made periods beautiful with, you know, embroidered underwear that, you know, looked like a like a beautiful stain. Um, but we also sold that underwear online and had it designed by a French lingerie company and we made card shaped lilos and kind of sent them out and um so, so yeah, we did kind of graphic novels and just a bunch of things that really unashamedly showed periods in a completely normal light.
1: And is that what you you know is that the sort of piece of work so far in your career that as a team you're you're proudest of?
3: Yeah, I think so. I, I think, think so because I think
2: it contains sort of all the all the elements of what you probably need to you know you have, it was we had to be. Resilient to get it made. You know, we faced huge obstacles. The truck banned. Tri- yeah, ban. I mean, if you
3: think about the, the things that we were trying to do, it's, it seems so normal now. But, you know, when we were busy doing it, every single person said no. Every single company that we approached said no. Are you crazy? Are you mad? No way. This is gross. It's disgusting because it's such a visceral stigma we've all grown up, you know, thinking about it and, and seeing it in such a such a weird unnatural light. So Yeah, yeah. so I we have it's to, definitely yeah.
2: we had to fight to the point where you even think to yourself, God, oh I'll, I'll be a bit crazy. I'll be we <laughs> like this is really yeah. everybody's saying this is really super weird. Maybe maybe it is. And then to see that it's not just um Successful, but it's kind of like incredibly successful and you're getting people writing your personal notes and you get that sort yeah, of real like
3: personal Being testimony. able to, to have that people coming up to you or hearing people discuss it or Thank talk about it and that, re- that really get incredibly emotional about it and, and how it's changed their perception or, you know, it made them cry and it made them feel a lot better and, you know, the almost in a lot of cases the relief of it of seeing periods portrayed in such a normal and, and natural way uh, is really special to be able to know that as um, advertising which is such a kind of straight and corporate world mm. you can try and make a difference and, and uh,
2: okay.
1: change
3: things and have an effect very cool um,
1: I'm going to link all of this stuff you know, underneath the actual uh, episode so everyone can kind of kick through and see all of this stuff. It always actually um, fascinates me, obviously, once you do get into advertising and you start doing shoots, you start meeting people that have really weird jobs and specialisms, and I just Mm. just assume there's someone somewhere that for a long time was getting paid to create the blue liquid. (laughs) Yeah. That was, totally, maybe not, right. the, maybe not like the only thing they did, but like yeah. one That's of the. That's the team. wrong
3: shade of blue. Yeah, <laughs>
2: they got a pantone match.
1: And
3: those yeah. hyper specialists are always the craziest
2: people. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, they're always yeah. slightly off kilter. Yeah. The person who <laughs> can make the beard do a little. Bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, way more. Yeah, the, yeah. there is probably yeah. somebody who knows exactly the colour of that blue liquid and how to get it. It's like no,
3: no, no, you're mad. It's not. Uh, and they've flown it, them it. in from somewhere <laughs> around the world to come and do probably, that exact
0: Probably
3: It's like the hand and <laughs> hand and feet models yeah. <laughs> with yeah. the gloves. Um, I just want to rewind
1: a second to. You guys arriving in London and kind of seeing how different that is, how did you kind of deal with that? Because that sounds like that could have been a little bit of a struggle to go from the way you've described South Africa and you were sort of felt like you were surrounded by opportunity and things really just happened quickly and there was so much churn to getting here and, and, and maybe a, you know, what could have potentially been a bit of an identity crisis when I was really we gonna be able to make the same caliber of stuff we were. You
3: know,
1: how did you? Sort it's of a do cult- that? It was
3: a. It was a culture shock for us. It's. Um, I think that the thing that work wise that we found the most difficult was to that we were taking so long to make work, and you do have a. You have a crisis because you think that you're not gonna crack it. You think that it's your fault. That you're not able to make work, um, and that I mean, every day we thought we were going to get fired because we we you know I mean, it's just,
2: but I think it's, that yeah. it's,
3: you you do realize that it is just the way things work. Things take longer, mm-hmm. and you have to be a lot more patient and you know, and and be more resilient and but. They are also you know we were incredibly excited to be here and um, and to have the opportunity, so we were trying to make the the most of it and and learn things and, and really kind of be sponges to kind of take take in all the the new culture and stuff like that. so I mean, it did feel like we were on holiday for about a year. Just <laughs> just, the just all the new things and, you know, yeah. you would go to new places and it's such an amazing way to kind of But I think that's the
2: point, uh, that you have, it's it the resilience. You kind of go, okay, well, this is different, but it's obviously a little bit harder, but you kind of just knuckle down and, and are resilient to know that, I mean, you're in an agency that does make great work, so there is obviously a, there's obviously a way to so just, just push on push on, and, and hold on yeah. more.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's... And everybody at
2: Envy is, 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 is kind and wonderful and reassuring and... Yeah, we were totally really, really due, lucky. It fine, so it certainly helped to have people that were reassuring. It was,
3: it was a, it was a soft landing because mm-hmm. everyone Everyone was so nice to us when we arrived. Everyone was just we so We thought it was a kind of conspiracy <laughs> when we first arrived. We thought it was really <laughs> weird. Why we,
2: is everyone being so it nice? We could an for some kind of ritual sacrifice or something. Because <laughs> everyone was really kind. Yeah. Poor
1: was like We've got to get rid of them soon. Yeah. Just make sure they have a nice month. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I bet that was, was hard. <laughs> that first um, Guinness Brief, which... You know, you did a, a great job on that and kind of brought more briefs and more opportunities to you. What was, what was that brief and
2: what was your response to it? And it was a, and, and I think this is a great, I mean, this is, it is probably a good bigger, good, bigger lesson because it was a brief for, I think it was just a pack shot. They, but they wanted to make the, the Guinness look beautiful and obviously very watering. But on one level it's a very conventional brief. It's you, you know, you could go it's through fun. a photographers with, you know handbook and find a interesting photographer, find a nice way to shoot all the um, the Jew and you know all the, the spritz. spritz. Okay. And and not not many people wanted the the that brief. People were avoiding that brief. But I guess we were lucky enough is that to us it was just a Guinness brief. I mean like when the must be good, it's a Guinness brief. So we were a little bit naive and enthusiastic. And we kind of just thought of it from a very sort of maybe, a di- maybe we were in, that was the right frame of mind we just looked at it from a different way. Um,
3: we kind of, yeah, it's, it's, I think because we were so excited we put everything into it and, and worked really hard at it. And we decided that we, would, we kind of thought about it as in what if you, to show the kind of liquid power of, of Guinness if you shrunk a photographer down to a really minuscule level, kind of like honey out shrug for kids, which is probably not a reference that anyone born after nineteen eighty two will understand. But um, it's if if we could do that and shrink that photographer and drop him into a pint or drop her into a pint, you would really experience upwards, yeah. the amazing kind of millions of bubbles and, and power that that Guinness had. And then we started looking at, at how how to do that. And we were thinking about, you know, almost uh, like waterfalls basically. So you would sit at the bottom of the waterfall and have the waterfall kind of pouring in, you know, you kind of create this kind of magical underwater uh, rush and surge and what the, what Guinness calls their, their surge, uh, which is what happens as you, as you pour. Um, and we found this amazing surf photographer he's an incredibly famous surf photographer but in his spare time he his art he loves shooting underwater and he shoots surfers and waves underwater and, um, if you turn those images into black and white you get a really beautiful um, Idea of of the pint as you would you know as we were kind of talking about the waterfall, the idea. If you turn that into black and white, you get the perfect. You trick people's minds into thinking that it is the perfect. That it's wave. the perfect pint. So we, um, everyone's still I think angry with us about this because we, the, uh, we did that perfect we did, wave. <laughs> that perfect wave existed in Tahiti. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, because it had incredibly clear water and, and no gunk wave. And uh that's where uh Brian Bielman, the photographer, shot a lot of his stuff. Um so we managed to go to Tahiti on a pack shot shoot. <laughs> that's how we I mean, that's how fair. we put it. But <laughs> it was a very I mean <laughs> But um Yes but still, people
2: still talk about that. Um
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> They still hate us for it. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's and but the, it was the, successful
2: for for Guinness and the, then that sort of.
3: Yeah, the images see. are are really cool and um in fact they still they're still using them now, uh, which is probably about five or six years years later.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and that's kind of what I think. I think everyone thought that we were so crazy that maybe maybe that they the tip, yeah. that we could. You know, the next brief that we got was a little bit bigger than the previous brief, yeah. and it kind of worked your way.
1: Yeah, we we'll sort of roll from there. Yeah. So that sort of perfect mix, as you were saying, kind of enthusiasm, maybe even a little bit of naivety. Yeah. You know, kind of led to
2: you really yeah. just over delivering on brief that no one else wanted. Yeah. And I mean, that is like you know, if there is a if there is a lesson, that is the advantage of Being young and, and hungry is. The some people are just tired and jaded and don't see the opportunity in, in briefs like that. And, and not just in advertising, but probably in every kind of thing. And they, it's the young and the hungry who can see something else because they, they want to. Okay. Um,
1: so what would you say to someone listening to this who is thinking, this sounds like a really great job, afford to go to any kind of college or university i'd quite like to end up working for these two what would your sort of you can't you have to give them a perfect plan but what would be your sort of three bullet points just to try and point them towards
2: you know breaking into an agency i think you know you would obviously you have to be willing to network and obviously you have to be willing to be tenacious and get yourself seen by somebody but I, I don't think that will ever get you anywhere if you don't back it up with you know your tenacity or your charm or your networking. it won't pay off if you don't back it up with <clears throat> with, with ideas and, and I, think with, I think that's great, I think that's brilliant because I think the fundamentally advertising has only one currency and that's an idea and I think an idea can be drawn on a piece of paper in pencil and if it's amazing it will somebody will look at it and go, God, that's interesting. So if you don't have the money for college and there is get going look at all the award winning adverts that are out there, go into the CAN archive and database, all these CAN D you know, D N A D's got an academy, they're a not for profit organisation, they're always willing to help but they've got resources. Immerse yourself in what looks like and what is celebrated as great advertising mean, and then start going if you want to work at A or you want to work at BBH or Adam and Eve or any any agency, look at their clients and start making making ads and writing up scripts Coming up with spec ideas and and put together put together a book and probably what will happen I would imagine is that you once you have that and you, and you can start to sort of reflect them against the annals of award-winning work you and you then are tenacious and you conniving and you clever <laughs> and you get your first you put in the door and you speak to the, your first creative directors they'll probably go this is a pile of nonsense that's when you listen and you absorb what the what people they they're saying because they probably can help you and then you throw away the ideas that I've great and then you you go again probably after three or four times you probably have a portfolio of work that might be um, eye catching and very interesting.
3: Yeah, I think I don't think that
2: and somebody would actually be but
3: I don't think you have to go to college. I just think that you have to be a student of art and writing and the visual world and, and that includes advertising so you, you want to immerse yourself in in the ads that you really love and try and work backwards on how did they come up with that what was the business problem how would I have solved that business problem and, and kind of really try and take those ads apart and almost put them back together again and it's, I guess it's it's also it's a bit like learning how to you know be a stand-up comedian it you you're gonna have to try and understand how to write a joke and how to perform and, and and do that over and over again and and I guess you, you you're gonna bum it's not gonna work out and and I think it's just having the tenacity to keep going and and getting advice from people because I think There are people out there that will help you but you have to give them something to criticize and and you know and then you can chuck it out and go again or change it and keep getting better i think the worst thing that you can do is be defensive Mm. because i think the one thing that we're all as creatives really good at is we all think that our ideas are are brilliant, and we get very defensive if someone thinks that they're crap. But I think that they they might not think that the whole thing is crap. They might go, "Okay, well, I can see something in that." Go here. I think it, it's a, it's a kind of stepping stone to kind of get to. It's always you can always do better or different, or and I think that it's just about you just got to keep going to, until until you arrive in that.
2: And I think place. that what's I think it's some reassurance for for 2018 and 2019 is I do think the advertising industry recognises that the, its makeup is not ideal and desirable and that perhaps the advice, imagine I, I giving you create career joint portfolio and knock on doors probably might not have worked 20 years ago because it might have been more of a closed club. but I think people would be delighted and um, yearning for different views and different voices and different kinds of people coming in. And would be, this is probably an optimum time um, mm-hmm. to get your foot in the door as a fresh voice without a formal to route to, to an agency. This is-
3: yeah, and I think that it's it's all about who you are as a creative as well. It's you know, There's not a single creative that is exactly the same as you. And you like the thing, you know. I think that as create, as advertising creatives, we're kind of we curators of things. It's all the things that we like and and, and love that we put then back into our work. So I think it's it's just really being immersed and finding those things that you really love, um, because I think you'll be able to use them and change them and you know turn them around to then chop them up to then make something completely different out of them, that the person next to you wouldn't be able to do, and I think that's what it's really making sure that you also put your own voice into it, because if you're just going to remake the same thing that someone else has made, then you're not really going to stand out, I guess, and I think it's, the, the, the awesome thing is that you should have your own voice, and, and that's what's gonna make Stand up! Don't try and be like everybody else.
1: I notice with with um, your work that it's often even at times doesn't necessarily have to be, but quite meaningful. Like looks at um, suppers, and if you want to make a band advert for Guinness, you can. You know, there's different things you can do that you can make people want to drink Guinness. um, But in the way that you described it. that you know, they have a philosophy and things like that. Do you think that, um, what's my question? I can have it aside afterwards so that I just sound really slick <laughs>
0: <laughs> i didn't stumble on the question at
1: all. Um, no I'll leave it in, it's good to leave the bloopers in. Um, do you think that advertising is getting more meaningful and you know rather than just trying to sell things to people. Do you think it's trying to advertising as an industry is trying to be be more to people and mean more to people? I
2: think I I, I think that advertising is probably getting more extreme. Maybe in the sense that in order to stand out, you have to be a little bit more than the next person. So I think that it's almost it's funnier than it used to be when it needs to be funny and and people are prepared to push the humor and go further. When it's doing nothing but just selling a product um, and in terms of meaning, I think people work around to realize you've got to be a little bit more meaningful than the next person is trying to be meaningful then you know and then and, and that becomes its own virtuous circle, so people are trying to be more meaningful, and that leads you to a place where yeah, meaningfulness is actually really good, and I think it's really good because
3: I think the biggest thing is that people are gonna smell bullshit, yeah they're just going to call you yeah. on it, and that it's I think advertising is you know like so many other things it's about connect really really being able to connect with people on a personal level and I think that you know we've had so many years of of advertising and you know beautifully slick people that don't actually exist in the real world and I think that there there is a certain amount of of actually consumers driving that as well because you know we're all consumers and we're not buying you know perfectly photoshopped models anymore because it's you know it doesn't make anybody feel good and and i think to a certain extent it's it's really about where consumers are at as well and and how we connect with with people on a on a real level rather than on a completely superficial level which i think a lot of um advertising used to do and I think you know that's just the times Um, and I think that you know you also don't want to get to a point where where well I think we don't Nick and I don't want to get to a point where you're doing it for cynical reasons I think you know if you're kind of we're being meaningful because it's you know what sells like that's I think that's when we leave advertising. It's, yeah. You know, it's, I think we have a, we feel privileged that we have the platform to do, um, I guess sometimes, meaningful work, work that means stuff to us, and I, maybe that's our, our journalism, kind of update kind of coming into it of, of of being trying to be real and and um, connecting. But I think it. it Next, next point of of people being more extreme is another. It is another thing, but it is it's it's more outrageous as well. It's you know you can drop someone from you know the moon, and that can that can be an event now. It's all I think it's all about entertainment as well.
1: Hmm. I suppose for the for a long time you could be shown perfectly photoshopped models and. Be outraged or feel that, you know, well, I don't look do like that. I don't know anyone that does do it like that, but not have a place to go or a forum on which to you know, to to point that out and call that out, and, and there is now. So it, I think yeah. brands have a bit of a responsibility to. Massively. To, you know, to be more yes. How much of your success as a team do you put down to your your hard work and your intelligence, and then how much of
2: it is just kind of good time? Yeah, I think that's, how, you know, once you take it, once you, you you're you not going to do anything without resilience and hard work. I mean, absolutely. I think that,
3: that's, I mean, that's that is for, I, for us, I think that it's, it's hard work. I don't think that we're, you know, I, it, sometimes I kind of go, I don't know if it is, I don't know if it's about talent. I think it's about resilience. You, know, you get knocked down. So often throughout, like, and I think that's the the biggest thing that we believe in is is just try again and try again. If someone says no, try again. It you have to get back up and and. And is that luck then a
2: question? A symptom of. Eventually, if you try hard enough, you will get lucky. You know, all the other things that weren't you weren't lucky on is just basically. What are you looking at? Are you looking at luck, or are you looking at persistence? Because sometimes that particular thing that comes off is is, the the luck is to have the right client, the right idea at the right time with the right budget. But it's the persistence to keep putting yourself into that position that eventually comes. And working
3: with people that have that same philosophy and have that same you know that same drive. It's it's like on uh, the the film for blood normal for instance the track um we that was the first track that was on there that uh, Daniel Wolf put on there that, that shot it and uh, Tom Lindsay that edited it and it it takes you on such an emotional journey but eventually we couldn't get the track because they said no the, uh, the the record company said no and they said no again and said no again and eventually we had to find another track we went through 3 or 4 weeks of of trying to find something that was right that had the right feeling of of being modern but also importantly being emotional and taking you on an emotional journey and we c- couldn't find anything and our producer Edwina went back well this is probably about the fifth time or sixth time, and there were people that were telling her that she, to back off mm. um and she, she went back and she went to the band we wrote them a personal letter, and we got the track and it's it, it you know it sound that process sounds really really easy now, but it something like that can make or break something it can it, you know you know how important a track is it's it it's so much part of of an experience that someone's going to have so it's that's totally totally down to Edwina's persistence of, and and us not being able to settle for less
2: yeah I think when you compare that to persistence that probably Pushes you forward, holds you back. Pushes you forward, holds you back. You can have like a turbo boost because undoubtedly that you need that luck throughout your career. But I think balanced over a career with persistence, you probably arrive at the same place. It's just the lack that. Yeah.
3: You're never going to win them all. It's you can't win every single argument. But if yeah. you, you know, if you try hard enough for long enough on everything,
2: you get lucky
1: enough. You, yeah so you um you mentioned Edwina uh who who's got a Shanghai now
2: <laughs> is there anyone else sort
1: of in your career that you you know you feel you really owe a lot to, but maybe you just never got to tell them or you know maybe they've just got no idea how much they helped you I think there are
3: a lot of a lot a lot of people like that I think probably for me um. And for Nick, but I think it's probably because she was an amazing, um, is an amazing ECD. Uh, Sandy DeWitt, um, who was our ECD at of and Hunky in South Africa. Um, as a female creative, she was an incredible, incredible role model because she just did her thing. She was so smart. And so feisty and funny and uh caring um, and you know I think that without even knowing it, because I was quite lucky in South Africa, we had a pretty split fifty male fifty percent male department fifty percent female department and I was lucky to have a lot of role models, but I think Sandy being uh, so high up and and being such an incredible, uh, award-winning, successful, tenacious woman really impacted my career and um, in having a a role model that was uh, female, because I think that coming to London, I didn't even
0: know it
3: was an issue. I don't even know that you know there were so few female creatives um, in London, and I think that, that what a wonderful way of growing up, not knowing that mm-hmm. and that's, that's to, to me that's due to Sandy because she hired she hired and promoted a lot of female creative uh, directors and, and art directors and copywriters to become um, incredibly successful and, and she supported them and I was lucky enough to be in a time where she was an ECD, and and I had amazing directors as female directors as well. models. good.
2: to As as much as so so good, so many, but I think that off the top of my head, somebody that comes to mind is uh, Dave Buchanan and Mike who are our CEs on uh, on Gibbons. And I think that. They took the chance on us, they gave us that you know, again as we were, I guess they didn't have to deal. I guess there would be plenty mm-hmm. of reasons not to give us the people that before they gave it to us and people doctor us and nurtured us and backed us and, and, and gave us an opportunity and that, you know, that quiet confidence and that, and that sort of step up that, that they provide grace and humour and make so much fun I think transport. Audience. Yeah, well, I think and I without that divine uh, intervention from them taking charge of this different part. Yeah, them. and I think that and learning. Just such yeah, they,
3: learning from them as as leaders that we had, it's you know they they never they were they they you always felt like they were part of the team. You always felt supported, and you always felt like he was in the trenches they were both in the trenches um with you you know and i think that's an incredibly important thing because it it can get rough out there and it can, guinness is a brand as we said it's it's a emotionally it's a rough place to be and it's a it's a um, prestigious brand that you're working on so it's big it is a big deal and for us as as young creatives Having learned from both of them to to kind of just be steady and and calm and and keep pushing, um, it, it made a huge impact uh, on us as on how we try and create direct as well.
1: Okay, um, I'm conscious of the time, so I'm gonna we we'll do we'll do two just sort of questions just to wrap up. Um, what is, I'll ask you this one, and you don't have to answer it straight away in case you don't question. Um, it doesn't have to be in advertising, the last thing that you saw heard, uh, or experienced where you went, Jesus, that's smart. And then if you can't think of one straight away, you can let it percolate while you answer this one, which is, is there a book that you find yourself giving away a lot? almost reading it and go, you know,
2: or you, you have at least once read it and go, you know, oh, this is so good I'm just going to give it to the, There's, I think the, there was a book that I used to give away a lot, which was the um, Poisonwood Bible by, by Kingsolver. I was I loved that book it's a real it's brilliantly written and it's the, the story of uh, sisters who grow up in American sisters who grew up in the Congo, um, with their missionary father, and it's just an incredible view of post-colonial Africa. Riveting, beautifully written, very profound. I used to, try, I used to pardon that book of as many people as I could give it to, because I loved it. And then, I think recently, I've been trying to make, force people to read um, Remains of the day. <laughs> I don't know. I just like it. It's great. Um, the old butler can't express himself. It's beautifully written. So I think i pushed push that one on a lot of people. I
3: think so my book—the uh, one that I, I uh, like giving to people—is um, sexually. I'm more of a Switzerland. Which is, right, okay.
0: <laughs>
3: which is a compilation of brilliant funny and smart uh lonely hearts colonnades. right and it's 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 just a it's this collection of wonderfully written yeah. short little um little snippets, and then the other thing that I recently read which is which is really old uh, it's called stoner by John Williams and it's a really simple and beautiful novel about a man's life and I can't even tell you why I think it's brilliant because it's just the simplest thing but the way that it re- is written you just left with such a it's it's such a sad book but it's such a poignant um, story as well it's just very very simple recommend reading it
2: um, and then i think that's something that i've seen recently that makes me go oh shit that's amazing as uh, clever this um just from a few days ago the um the net it's the hour long comedy special by an australian comedian who, who sort of completely confronts the whole convention with standard comedy and tension and how to tell how to sort of make jokes out of Trauma. Yeah. And, um, actually, just completely. So it's incredible, incredible
3: story. I'm. I've just finished watching the Defiant Ones.
1: Okay.
3: Which is the story? I think it's on Netflix. It's the story of uh, Doctor Dre and uh, Jimmy Ivy, the record producer, and um, and obviously they partner. In making beats by Dre, uh, and obviously sold, sold business for three billion, and it follows the both both their lives um, from Dr. Dre obviously through his his career with N.W.A. and, and Jimmy Ivy through his record producing um, career, and it's just such a fascinating um, and wonderfully told story of 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 each of them and, and how their lives, and actually also their persistence of, of what they wanted to do, and how they, how they got there and geniusly uh, got there, and how brilliant they were. It's really cool, cool, that's very, very, very smart people. Very cool. Uh,
1: naja, Nicholas, thank you so much. It's been great talking thank to you. you. Thank, thank you. I'm very helpful to everyone listening. We'll do a very formal handshake now, you ready? <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank
2: you.